Welcome to the Simpleton Podcast. I'm Clark Massey. I'm here in Kansas City. We're the official podcast of A Simple House, and I'm here with Laura Heeman, who is in... Washington, D.C. Hello, Laura. Hey, Clark. How's it going? <laughs> Just fine. Great. All right. <laughs> All right. Our big topic today is how Simple House developed a model of evangelization based on accompaniment. Mm -hmm. and how we were forced to develop that over time. And that's what we're going to go over. But we're also going to talk about the world that Simple House was kind of born into. Mm -hmm. um, Catholic culture around the year 2000, there was a big schism in the church around um, charitable work. Not a formal schism you're ever going to read about in church history, but there was yeah. a huge awkwardness, mm -hmm. you know. And then also we're going to go over the spiritual hazards of missionary work and like even trying to create a theory of missionary work like jesus mm -hmm. told the pharisees who were kind of the religious conservatives of his day that when they created a convert they made him twice the son of hell that they were and uh you certainly don't want to be doing that <laughs> so but to yeah. take that quite seriously whenever we figure try mm -hmm. to figure this stuff out yeah so I think we're going to start with Simple House and like what our goals were that Laura, you and I seem to just kind of like mm -hmm. get from the beginning. Right. And very little of it was kind of put down on paper and we didn't really have a training method or anything like that. But we both, I felt like we're on the same page of knowing what we were shooting for. Yeah. And I think that we were both kind of at that time going for, you know, thinking about what what's our personal response you know, you didn't have an idea. We didn't have an idea of like, we're starting this community of people and we're all going to go out. You know, it was more like, how how are we going to personally respond, you know, to the cry of the poor, to a call from God? Yeah. So, and that's, yeah. you know, that's consistent with our vision from the beginning was there was no effort to make a community. There was mm -hmm. no effort to establish something forever. Mm -hmm. um, we'd both been through like seeing a couple ministries close the permanence mm -hmm. Like, I think we, the goal was to work on it as if it were permanent, yeah, but yeah. no, it might not be, Yeah, you know, yeah. and not assume that anyone would ever join except, you know, just a couple people who like, I wanted to do it full time. You were doing mm -hmm. part time at that point. Um, and we just had no real idea that other people would join. Yeah. We also like, we were, we wanted to bring more people out to do the work kind mm -hmm. of for their good and also for the poor. But, um, it was going to be absolutely okay if it never grew. Exactly. You know, and I think our goals were like, we just had these at an intuitive level, not at a conscious level or mm -hmm. um, a, a level where, you know, we had analytically broken it down, but we wanted to be very authentic. Um, we wanted to love people in the way of like helping them, like just in concrete ways, material help, kind of the material mm -hmm. works of mercy but then in also spiritual ways that it wouldn't make sense to help someone in a ton of material ways and then like not want to share the truth, you know? Yeah, exactly. um, It also wouldn't make sense to share the truth but not lift a finger to help someone, you mm -hmm. know, in this life concretely, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of where we were going. And it, it, sounded, it sounds like almost an obvious idea what we were trying to do, but for some reason it wasn't obvious because the... Catholic culture was kind of in a weird place at that moment. How, right. how would you explain that? Yeah, so th there was like a division between like the social justice Catholics and the pro-life Catholics or the people that were into doing charitable work um, versus the people that were Orthodox. And I, I think like when I was in college in the early 2000s, I think there was like starting to be... Um, you know, I had kind of more liberal theology professors and there was maybe starting to be like a suspicion of that or an idea that that wasn't quite right and we needed to go back to orthodoxy or something. But that was like kind of the flavor of Catholic U and I think a lot of campus ministries weren't weren't there. And so when we were, you know, starting a simple house, like uh, you'd have these conversations with like, you know, quote unquote, more liberal people and they'd be very excited that we were doing charitable work and then as soon as you mentioned like praying with people or bible studies they were like whoa 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 you know so it was like we were like too conservative for them but then our conservative friends were like what what are you doing you're helping the poor you know and so yeah so there was just this kind of strange thing of being too liberal for one group and too conservative for the other 
And I, I think that like our conservative friends or like would have been fine if it was like a very concrete help that was very clean. But this idea that you were going to like go into people's houses, mm-hmm. that the houses could have, you know, like roaches everywhere and, you yeah. know, kind of like get your elbows dirty with the poor was kind of what really kind of weirded people out. And they also were just suspicious, I think, because there was something about this schism. I'm calling it the schism right mm-hmm. now that... um there was there was something about it that was self-reinforcing that someone who really loved the church and was orthodox would show up to like a social justice style ministry mm-hmm. and find out that everyone was pro-choice and they had no problem yeah. with a lot of things yeah. right and then the the you know the person would be scandalized and upset and like not really want to yeah. serve with a pure heart there and would leave right yeah. but then also a um kind of a social justice catholic would show up at a um, conservative type meeting and be like scandalized that they don't seem to be that concerned yeah. about like the social situations of the day and the poor and things like that. Like there's, there seemed yeah. to be a lack of compassion. And right, but it was, it was to the point that it was like helping the poor became shorthand for like liberal Catholic, you know, and being pro-life became shorthand for conservative Catholic that didn't care about the lives of these babies after they were born, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. And it felt like it was like an American political divide that had mm-hmm. somehow become imprinted on Catholic culture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, there was a, I always had this feeling um, in college and have continued to have it after that, like, are, are some people like confusing Republicanism with being a good Catholic? <laughs> you know, like it, it didn't seem clear of where the sort of political preference was and the Catholic identity, you know? Right. Yeah. And this particular schism, which felt very defined then to the point that it was just like hard to point at anyone who was kind of good in both ways. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to become that. We were trying to stand in the gap there, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and it felt very alienating because it, it felt like we didn't have any friends in a sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah. we weren't really getting endorsed by either group and I was getting turned <laughs> away. Um, if you were asking for money, you'd get like weird questions and things like that. Right. Yeah. And um, I think that this has largely gone away. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. it's that, I don't think we're scandalous as a ministry anymore. I don't mm-hmm. think it feels like we're standing in the gap anymore. I think you could start a, um, Orthodox Catholic ministry, uh, to the poor and it wouldn't raise a bunch of questions, Right. you know, right. right now. And I feel like sometimes what Catholics do, and I am very guilty of this myself, is we're sometimes fighting the last war. You know, what do like you mean I, by that? Well, um, this has happened to me a couple of times, but like this week, someone was talking about lit- liturgical kind of weirdness and talking about like, you know, I don't want to go to mass and be singing Kumbaya. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I thought 20 years ago, I think that happened way more than today. Yeah. You know, like if yeah. I wanted to find Kumbaya in a Catholic church, I would search it out in my diocese. And there's a couple places I would look. And I might have to go through a couple masses before I saw something I thought was weird. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas like 20 years ago, you could just stumble into it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you'd just be like, yeah. you'd be like something cringeworthy would happen, you know, like on the regular. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, like if you're today, like really worried about that, well, I mean, that's like yesteryear's battle. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that battle's largely won. It's not that it doesn't, you know, but you're kind of in the, um, you're kind of the cleanup crew on that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, today, uh, if someone just characterizes the conservatives as not being charitable, I would say you're kind of grinding an ax. I'm not seeing that. But, but, yeah, yeah. but around the year a... 2000, I did see that. You know, yeah, totally, totally. And I, I remember even, um, you know, uh, talking to college students or recently graduated people like, you know, I would be at a party with maybe like more conservative Catholics. And from certain schools, I would say like, oh, we do this ministry, you know, and it was just like shutting down goodbye. <laughs> and it, it was like crazy. Like, it was like really obvious. People were like, mm, not interested in that even enough to be polite to you <laughs> um so well like like my wife's yeah. uh uncle and godfather is one of the founders mm-hmm. of christendom college and like 
we got turned down pretty quick to go talk at Christendom College. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't trying to say it was Christendom, but it was Christendom. <laughs> well, it could have been other places too. But yeah, no, but it, it, yeah. Anyway, let's tell some stories yeah. about just how that was felt in the church right then. Like one time, I got pulled over in Northern Virginia mm-hmm. driving the ministry van. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd made an illegal turn or whatever, and the cop pulled up behind me, and. Um, it's always weird when you get pulled over in the ministry van because the real legal name of a simple house is Saints Francis and Alphonsus. S-T-S, Francis, Ampersand, Alphonsus. (laughs) Yes, which most people, I don't know, when we started, S-T-S to me obviously meant saints in plural, but to almost (laughs) no one else it means that. So... um, when uh, I got when you get pulled over, they like run your plates and they're like, "This is owned by who? And who are you, Francis and Alphonsus?" You know. Um, so the cop came up and he's you know questioning me about who owns the vehicle, and I'm my take now is like just accept tickets, don't fight, get out yeah. of things, roll. You know, what I mean, don't feel bad. I'm, I'm yeah, gonna get yeah. so many tickets in my life. Let's do it. Um, so, but the cops, like, kind of, I'm like, well, you know, we're a Catholic mission. He goes, oh, then goes back to his car, comes back and he goes, are you a Catholic mission? Like you help the poor or are you missionaries like for real? And I was like, well, we aspire to really be missionaries, you know? And he's like, okay, I'm giving you a warning. Uh, don't do that. Carry on. You know? Yeah. So that like, that meant something to him. Right. And he he didn't strike me as like a genius or anything, but it was just like (laughs) he knew that there was this weird distinction happening. Yeah. That if you said Catholic mission, you didn't necessarily mean missionary or anything, you know, by that. And um, he he wanted to know, you know, and a similar thing would happen that like part of the problem here was that there was a big paranoia of proselytizing. Yeah. Um, I still see that a little bit today, but it was even more paranoid 20 years ago. And I think this yeah. comes from this kind of um, educational bias we all have that all history is power struggle, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And in that way of talking about history and society, the Catholic Church is merely the like imperi- the spiritual imperialism of the West, you yeah. know? And yeah. we're like extra tricky imperialism, yeah. you know? I, I think and to, it was to the point like I... Uh, missionary was more um, in that time a Protestant word. <laughs> you it know? was like it yeah. was not a word that Catholics were using a lot. We tended to introduce ourselves as volunteers. Um, if someone kind of figured out we were a missionary, like I felt like I had to like explain, you know, yes, I am. Um, and if you have a weird idea, <laughs> here it is. Um, it was also, yeah, and I, I think yeah. a lot of how Catholics have rediscovered being missionaries with kind of like everything that Focus has done and stuff has sometimes mm-hmm. been inspired by Protestants. Yeah, totally. Like we re-imported it back in. And I may even remember yeah. religious orders back then who were missionary orders, like the Redemptorists or what. They even mm-hmm. would backpedal and like kind of feel confused about how to yeah. explain what missionary was because the paranoia of proselytizing was so complete that there almost was no valid mission work. Yeah, and I, I think it could even make you, like, sometimes uh, almost do bad ministry or something. Like, I, I felt like I had to spend a lot of time explaining to donors, like, you know, everything we do is totally free. We don't require people to go to church. We don't require people to pray with us. It's totally a gift, you know? And then, like, the people, like, the poor people uh, whose houses we were going to would be, like, so can you pray with me? Right. Uh, are you going to invite me to church, you know? And you're like, oh, oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, it that- was like the donors wanted to sort of know that we were not doing that. And the people we were trying to help were like, can you please do that? <laughs> right. The, the poor were not afraid of proselytizing. And in no. a way, it was kind of patronizing to them to say that they were so weak in their intellect or faith that you yeah. could walk in and just beat them into some new belief, you know, with yeah, some, absolutely. you know, work. And, and a lot of, a lot of people have, um, you know, had opinions about the people that would come to their door, you know, and they were happy to have us, but maybe not Jehovah's witnesses or something, sure. you know, so they had, sure. 
ideas about who they wanted to come. But it was like weird that we were coming to the door. Uh, you know, we would meet people that were like, oh, so you're from the Catholic Church. Like once a Catholic priest like helped my mother, you know, 30 years ago. And it was this distant memory, <laughs> you know, that a Catholic person had come to them. Because somehow we'd gotten in our own way. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? In right, serving right. the poor. And I think yeah. that like the problem was in the universities and in mm -hmm. the donors, it was not with the poor. Mm -hmm. And like when I would explain our mission to the poor or to like my family in rural Kansas, mm -hmm. it would be like, oh, you're just trying to be Christian. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> right. And, and, and they kind of got it at an intuitive yeah. level. But like mm -hmm. putting it at this analytic level, it's like trying to explain you're not a racist or yeah. whatever. The mere yeah. act of trying to explain how you're not a racist keeps the person suspicious you are. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. so like the more I try to tell you I'm not proselytizing, I sound like a proselytizer. Right, you know? exactly. It's and, like you. Uh... And I, I remember like we had like Georgetown donors who were like, I'd explain our ministry. They wouldn't seem to get it. I'd finally say, look, you have to mm -hmm. read some of the stories, like the real life, like, yeah. or like, let me tell you a particular encounter we had. And mm -hmm. then you're either going to get it or you're not. And if you don't get it, that's fine. Yeah. But like, but that's the way you're going to understand what we do because we're having a real hard time communicating. And yeah. then they would say, well, well, just give me the statistics. Yeah. Like how many people you fed and stuff. And so every once in a while, I would actually compute statistics. We've made this many visits. Yeah. We help this many people get healthcare, this many people enroll in school, this many people we fed, right? And sometimes the statistics were impressive. Yeah, and you know? sometimes they weren't. <laughs> well, sometimes they weren't, yeah. but the point yeah. was, even when they were impressive, you are clueless about what we were as a mission. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, you, if you looked at our stats and said, oh, I like this, I'd like to support them, you don't know what you're supporting if you're making that decision based on the statistics. Yeah, I think the, so we had a, I assume we're talking about the same Georgetown donors, like a long relationship with this like community in Georgetown. And yes, at the beginning, they really did want the numbers. They wanted to have like kind of the hard, good thing that they were doing. But I, I, I do think a lot of them came around and um, they kind of knew some of the people we helped by name because we would tell them stories. And even, uh, do you remember, uh, like, there was a family that we helped that they had a son that was into, like, writing poetry. And so some of them kind of, like, took him on and they would, you know, take him on these outings. They would work on him reciting his poetry and uh, teach him how to play golf. That was yes. like, And it's like, how, like, not productive is that? And so it was great. Like, they kind of, like... Yeah, I, I guess what I said, Georgetown, I wasn't meeting that particular parish that okay. helped us out. I was kind of thinking in, yeah. in general, like Northern Virginia or yeah. just kind of wealthy people um, yeah. who would be in the position to help us, you know? Yeah. And um, there were also two stories that kept coming up that um, I think I politely listened to who knows how many times, but they would tell me the story of the Rice Christians. Mm-hmm. That it was like the Jesuits in India would give out rice before church, and so the church was always full, and then they quit giving yeah. out rice, and no one would come to church, or they'd be angry, you yeah. know? And it was like, well, clearly we don't want to be that, but why do you keep telling me this story? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like, I, like it's like, boom, you know, like enlightened, yeah. right? And then the <laughs> other one was the social justice story about, you know, if you keep finding people drowning in a river and you pull them out, you should walk up the road and you'll see that there's a man on a bridge throwing people in the river and you sh it'd be mm -hmm. better to stop that man than like do the structural reform as opposed to yeah. just like be charitably helping people out of the river. And I was told that story so many times by people who like, it's like, this should blow your mind. Here yeah. you go. Here's the yeah. distinction, you know? Yeah. And um, it, the story is true enough. Like whenever you can stop the guy from throwing people in the river, yeah. that's what you should do. Mm -hmm. I think we from the beginning knew that we weren't going to be very political and that we were going to be very personal. Mm -hmm. You know, we yeah. were going to love Bob, not always worried about all the systems that affect Bob. Yeah. But whenever we have to had to fight systems, we have, you yeah. know, you know, and I, I think both of us were um, very uh, moved by the example of Mother Teresa. And I, I, think this was going on when I was like, you know, a child and a teenager. But later as an adult, I realized, you know, there were people that thought Mother Teresa was like a kind of a monstrous person because she didn't do any of the like um, big picture change. Right. 
Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When when yeah. she died, there was like a negative op-ed in the New York Times, you mm-hmm. know, going after yeah. Mother Teresa for not doing structural change. Right. You know, yeah. and mm-hmm. I think we, we, we'll have to talk about this more in depth later. But part of the problem there is like an eschatological problem, you know, mm-hmm. that Mother Teresa saw all these people as living eternally and that every act of love is an eternal act, whereas like you know, people who don't believe in that eschatology tend to think that it's all about this life and it's all about fixing the, you know, the systems in this life to make it better. Whereas like Mother Teresa saw her work, even with someone who's going to die in a few days as eternally important. Yeah. Not just a few days of important. Yeah. I kind of think it's an interesting thing to think about, um, like a thing that has been kind of especially horrific during COVID is the idea of people dying in the hospital by themselves. You right. know, like everyone knows that's like wrong. You know, I'm I'm not trying to say what should or shouldn't have happened, but everyone like mourned that. <laughs> that, that you know? well, it's, it, yeah, yeah. It's been happening to my own dad, who's been in yeah. a nursing home this last year, and we're now visiting Oof, him in yeah. person. And it just was yeah. like cruel and unusual, you know? Yeah. So... These hangups were kind of the hangups from the liberal side. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the Rice Christian idea, the paranoia of proselytizing and stuff like that, right? But there was also a little bit of a hangup from the um, Orthodox side of like kind of like treating sometimes people outside of the church as other or heathen. And like mm-hmm. the accompaniment model we were employing was kind of like, look, we're 25 or 26 yeah. or younger even, you know, mm-hmm. and we're sitting here with a 50 year old um, grandma who mm-hmm. is a different race than we are, had mm-hmm. a completely different life experience than us. Yeah. And we're hanging out and chatting and being friends. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are you going to disciple this person? Yeah. <laughs> you know, does this person yeah. maybe have like insights into the human experience? That mm-hmm. could be revolutionary for you, you know, and yeah. are we open yeah. to receiving that? But then at yeah. the same time, we all have our own, you know, like, like informed by our, our faith, you know, our take on the human experience that we also share, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember one time, I don't know if this paper still exists, but there was kind of this like, it was considered pretty out there uh, newspaper called The Wanderer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These were people who were kind of so Catholic that they like always had a problem with the Pope, JP2, you know, like they, I don't think they were SSPX, but they were like, you know, close to schismatic Catholic. And a wanderer reporter came and asked if he could follow me around for a day um, in Southeast DC. And I was like, sure, you know, that would have been an answer to anybody, you know, but I I was interested in meeting him too. So he came out and we, we went around all day and I showed him around and we went through the pub, public housing and um, talked to some people that, you know, I work with with the ministry. And I remember near the end of the day, he asked, um, he said something as he was leaving Simple House, like, clearly you do this because you think these people are all going to hell and you're trying to save a few of them from eternal damnation, Right. Yes. And I was like taken aback when he said that. And at the same time, I'm like, I, I'm very uh, intentionally agnostic about judging the eternal fate mm-hmm. of anyone. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't want to presume God's uh, forgiveness or his judgment either yeah. way. Right. Yeah. And it's ve- and I don't know how I could have operated if I desperately thought everyone we were working with was going to hell. And I don't yeah. know how I could have like done this love, you know, for mm-hmm. them. Right. And so it's like I'm, I'm kind of worried that everyone's going to hell and hoping they're all going to heaven all at the same time. Yeah. 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 I, I, talking in the early days about uh we kind of thought that the more more appropriate attitude was like you know a more generous attitude towards everyone except for yourself (laughs) you know yeah um, you got to be kind of generous to yourself too because otherwise you kind of start sinning against god's mercy you know what i mean yeah um yeah but yeah yeah that's that's right like like if you're going to be hard on someone be a little bit hard on yourself don't be hard on the poor you know yeah and yours is the only heart that you can see into you know you're the only right person right and, and, and also i think that models after jesus um yeah 
you know, that he was like, we once broke down all the different interactions of Jesus and who he was interacting mm. with. And yeah. the times he was the least judgmental, the most compassionate mm -hmm. were with public sinners. Yeah. You know, yeah. people who just had obvious problems, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I want to say just another um, thing. Uh, I, I feel like maybe this is like a different this this is an idea that persists but um it was uh, maybe had a little bit of a different shape like uh there was like a more conservative suspicion of like if you help these people are you enabling these people <laughs> right. you know and right. um it was like just go down there for a day it's plain to see <laughs> that there's not the same you know, opportunity. It's not just a matter of choosing to do better and doing better, you know? Um, and that, that was like a weird thing also. Like people had watched too many hopeful movies about the hood in the nineties and thought like you could just decide. <laughs> and then everything was going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. We need yeah. to talk about this, about what conversion is and the normal way God works with people mm -hmm. because it was kind of like you just that uh, like we literally would have people show up who would think there's this temptation to think that people are just going to fall over quit yeah. using crack and get yeah. their life together you know what I mean yeah. because they realized the truth you know or because the Holy Spirit came down and just did it you know the other idea is like um there can be that one special teacher in the high school who will change the lives of all the students and then they'll all go to college. <laughs> right. And it's just like, what a crazy thing, you know? And occasionally you get some special people who have that will or have that drive or have that spark and you get a special teacher, but that's not, that's not the, you know, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. And sometimes mm -hmm. the spark isn't even coming from a uh, nice person. Yeah, you know what I mean, sometimes right. the, the yeah. word that changes your life is a word of prophecy that just comes out of someone who's not even trying to help you. <laughs> they might be yeah, insulting right, you, right. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. so when we were doing this, we were acting almost entirely in the um, I would like to at one point, by the way, do some analysis about how did the church get to this weird place where mm -hmm. uh, charitable work was so scandalous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But this seems to have resolved, and it seems to have partly resolved because a lot of the social justice Christian part of the church um, seems to have gone away, you know? Yeah. Um, I still see it, but I see it as like almost like a temporary phenomena of maybe new college graduates sometimes, and but mm -hmm. then they're often not Catholic 10 years later, mm -hmm. you know? And I consider that kind of tragic, but it also means it's just not the big problem anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, is the mm -hmm. social justice versus yeah. charitable works schism problem, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but we also were operating without a good analytical framework. I think maybe that's why the schism existed in the church is no one was writing it up real well, you know, and yeah. figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And when two people, let me use a model for this. I have a good friend um, who was a great friend of this uh, ministry and also served with the ministry. Um, who was like a really good second grade teacher, mm -hmm. right? And she knew both kind of like how to be a good teacher and was like a reading specialist, but also knew when the class was about to like pop off, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. like who the ringleaders were and what the yeah. social dynamic, like like a uh, like a really good stand up comedian. <laughs> who's like reading yeah. the room and changing yeah. the act based on what the room's response and the feedback and everything with the room, right? And so to me, like the, the, what brought this to my attention was this person was such a good second grade teacher that they became a teacher of second grade teachers. You know, like yeah. the person who helped other second grade teachers be good teachers. And it, yeah. it struck me that like all the analytical stuff all the cut and dry stuff, all the little reward systems you can do in a classroom, mm -hmm. when you assign stuff, what order you do things in, you know, what habits you have the class do, that's all teachable, right? Yeah. But this like read the room part, mm -hmm. that really probably made her from a good to a great teacher. Yeah. Where do you teach that? Right. You know, and the same yeah. true in mission work, you know, yeah. like a lot yeah. of it's teachable, but then there's this final thing where it's like, like you also had a, at CUA, there was a great campus uh, minister who'd kind of reformed CUA's campus ministry, Father yeah, Bob, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And it was like, man, if only we could do this at every university, it would be amazing. 
But it was almost like you couldn't write down what you, Craig, you know, this situation better than me. I don't think yeah. you could have written down what Father Bob did. You know, he had a way about him that people were attracted to. And he was um, generous and kind and could talk to any student on campus, you know. And um, I remember even when he made decisions that people thought were wrong mm-hmm. it, it, in the long run, he was always right. Yeah, and we keep in touch with him like a tiny bit, like we, you know, talk to him maybe once a year or something. But, uh, you know, uh, when when I was in college, so I worked in the campus ministry for one year and it was like I found some of his ideas or things he would insist on so annoying, you know. And yeah, no. And now in in the long run, I'm like, wow. Father Bob was an amazing man with amazing insight, you know, and, um, and I think a holy man, which is not like, you know, I don't know, dealing with him day to day in college, I was like, oh, what a pain, Father Bob. Uh, I did, that wasn't my dominating uh, feeling about him, but yeah, he was great. Um, So anyway. Um, But there's something about this intuitive realm of being good at something that also in, in the missionary sense grace has to be a big part of this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Grace and prayer and things like yeah. this. But And discernment seems to be almost mm-hmm. what we're talking about right now. But if you have two people who are gifted in this way, they can kind of see eye to eye and they can kind of sharpen each other and make each other even reach a new height right. by talking and comparing yeah. notes. But the problem is they're talking about something that's so ill-defined. It's like they have to invent... Uh, the language, create the stories to make the points. Kind of like when Jesus speaks in parables, he's not like saying, here's some theology. He's like, here's yeah. a story. Let me see if I can break through to you with this story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I felt like that's what you and I were doing. And we were even kind of inventing language about like, like we'd, we'd do some bad ministry and we'd come back yeah. and be like, well, what happened that there? Was a mistake. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then we'd like name that type of mistake, mm-hmm. you know, and then we'd try to move on. Yeah. And, it came to the point that we started to have people joining Simple House and we needed to get analytical. Mm-hmm. Like we needed to figure out what part of this missionary work we do can be put down on paper and what part of this missionary work we do is forever going to be a little bit in the intuition zone. Yeah, but you know, with the intuition zone, I think you can always like train your intuition. Even if you have good intuition, you need to train your intuition, you know, and there's like, you know, back to the second grade teacher example, you know, maybe there's a person that's not that good at reading the room, but you got to say to them, listen, when things are getting a little out of hand, usually being more stern is not the thing that's going to work, you know, or something like you can kind of clue them in like this way you're reacting is amping things up or, you know, whatever it is like you got to clue people in. I, I agree with you, but I think it's limited. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. like one of the other parts of intuition that we have to use at Simple House and that probably everyone has to use at some point in their life is we call it like the spidey sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. like one of Spider-Man's lesser known superpowers is to be able to tell when things are getting dangerous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And right. if you're walking in the hood where drive-by shootings happen and like cop jump outs happen and all types of things happen, mm-hmm. you need to have a sense of when you got to get the hell out. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, another there's a like some female missionaries we've had have not been good matches for doing ministry with certain men because they're not, you know, their spidey senses off or their reaction is off to being like hit on or something, you know, right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, you can talk to people and help and you'll see people improve. And to other extent, I'm just like, all right, this person's never going to get this. You know, yeah, like we just need to put them yeah. in a situation where they can succeed, where this is not a big part of the job. You know, hey, I have to tell you an embarrassing story about being hit on. OK, so <laughs> back in the early days, you know, I was like in my young 20s, this was like a thing I had to, um, you know, be mindful of, you know, and so it was like all the time, you know, there were these like come ons or like guys asking for my number, you know, not for missionary purposes, you know, so this was just like a part of the uh, work. Um, but the other day, this like, <laughs> this kid comes to the house, you know, uh, trying to sell me a bag of food he got from the rec center. 
Um, and I'm like, I'm not going to buy your bag of food, but we start chatting. And then he's like, well, well, do you have any work? And I said, let me see if there's any yard work, you know, here and I'll get back to you. And he's like, okay, well, great. Well, give me your number. And I was like, um, do you want my number because you want to do yard work? And he was like, yes. <laughs> like, uh, so I am old now. I am not uh, trying. Good. Uh, yeah. That There's happened. freedom in yeah. that. <laughs> there is freedom in that. It was also like really embarrassing. And he was like so disturbed by the fact I thought he was trying to get my number, you know. Um, so that happened. Someday we're going to have to tell the story of the guy who was hitting on you. And then when he wanted to leave the room, he wouldn't walk. He would just fall asleep while we were there. He would fake fall asleep just to like leave the conversation. But that's a story worth a different day. But um, let's get back to this. All right. So the analytical intuitive was interesting. And I remember when we first were trying to tackle the problem, I started searching because I thought, surely this missionary work is such an important thing. Surely there's got to be like a lot of like data or mm-hmm. journal articles or books on how to do it, you know? And I was kind of searching within Catholic world, not Protestant world for it. And I remember I found the word missiology, which mm-hmm. is the study of missions. Yeah. And I thought when I figured that word out, I thought this is a breakthrough. Now I know the Fine. right thing to search. Yeah. I will have a gold mine of information. And then I found out that the American like Catholic missiology society was like, right near the shrine, right in DC, you know? (laughs) One of the cool things about DC is like every single religious order organization Mm -hmm. has an office in DC. Mm -hmm. Um, They often used to have an office in St. Louis too. It was like the two places in the nation where you could like have a house of every religious order, you know? Um, So I was like, great. So I like call them and I like literally get denied membership into the like missiology association right (laughs) and so i'm down and i can't find anything with missiology like in um the dominican house library that seemed meaningful and then i you know did more searches and i thought okay black and indian missions i've heard this term my just the context for all these searches that you're talking about is this is uh before google was so ubiquitous i'm pretty sure i searched it on google but the internet was not as complete back then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there was also a sense in which I knew that some of this stuff would be old, you yeah. know, cause there was so few people doing mission work that I knew that this would be some, I was hoping for stuff from the fifties or something, you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah. um, or from foreign missions, you yeah. know? And then, um, so then the black and Indian missions. So this is something mm-hmm. that almost all Catholics have heard of because it's one of like only three nationwide appeals in the Catholic church for money. Yeah. Uh, at every parish and um it had its headquarters is also in dc right yeah. it's a little townhouse in the foggy yeah. bottom area yep so yeah. <laughs> i could not get them to return a phone call i couldn't get a live yeah. person on the other end at black and indian missions and our mission was like we served more than 100 people of which 98 out of 100 were black yeah you know what I mean? Like DC was yep. very racially divided. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, and the, the two that weren't black, one was white and one was Puerto Rican married to a black guy. Yeah. That's the only two people I can remember from back then yeah. <laughs> yeah. weren't black. Yeah. And so I thought, well, we're clearly a black mission. Yeah. You know, and we've got three years under our belt or something, you know, let's, I should talk to these people about materials, uh, maybe funding, whatever. Right. Couldn't get yeah. any calls back. Um, and that's something, by the way, I feel like I'm I'm interested in doing this podcast partly because I'm expecting that the listeners might go out and found a mission. Yeah. Right? All right. So tips and tricks for founding your mission. <laughs> there are a lot of things in the Catholic Church that get kind of nailed down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like like a black and Indian mission type thing could be like, um, well, the Marianol Fathers or who, whatever legacy institutions did yeah. that type of work may yeah. be always the ones who get those grants. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And yeah. breaking into that is, it now seems more possible at Simple House because we're over 15 more years old. Yeah. yeah. But like, it, you're just not going to break into these. These things yeah. were set up and created for those groups. 
Yeah. And they're not, there's, they're, they may just not return your phone calls even. Yeah. <laughs> they might even yeah. not tell you why you're not going to qualify. <laughs> yeah. So, well, then, you know, yeah, it's similar when we were trying to get um, listed, like in the official list of Catholic ministries in the country or whatever. Um, right. That took forever. <laughs> Very painful process yeah. to get in the yeah. Kennedy directory or the official Catholic directory, which is necessary yeah. to qualify for all types of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I did find on the internet this one thing called Evangelical Catholic. Mm -hmm. And it was out of Minneapolis, which I didn't really understand at the time is kind of the birthplace of net ministries. And a lot of cool Catholic stuff has come out of Minneapolis, mm -hmm. St. Paul area. Yeah. And uh, Evangelical Catholic was up there, and I don't think it still exists. But at the time, they literally had missionary training materials. Yeah. And I, I sent them money, and they sent me some materials, and we did not use hardly any of it. But I was, I honestly, it felt so lonely being in the space. I was so inspired that just someone else was in the space. Yeah. That, yeah. like, um, I later became friends with some of the first focus missionaries. Mm -hmm. I still know them, you know, and they were living out here in Kansas City. Um, but like, it was just, it was, it was interesting time to try to figure out how to write a manual to train missionaries. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think besides like a bunch of stuff we created that we need to go over, like kind of the do's and don'ts of mission work and also some do's and don'ts of kind of like spiritual pitfalls of like thinking what becoming a saint is that it's not. Mm -hmm. Um Pope Benedict's, which he wrote this when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, wrote a book called Introduction to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I think it's from the 70s. And I'm not sure. yeah. it's from the 70s or 80s. But in my mind, I thought Introduction to Christianity was such a misnomer because it's such a <laughs> dense book. Yeah. That it's like graduate course in Christianity should have been like the name of it, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But I really think it influenced our missionary training more than any other work. Hmm. You know, I don't even think I properly credit uh, Pope Benedict in our manual enough for the ideas I took from him. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, otherwise it'd be like a footnote every page, <laughs> also copied from Pope Benedict. Right. Um, so that was revolutionary, but. I also think that there were some pitfalls we were trying to avoid. One I came across recently, like the book, the How the Irish Saved Civilization is a pretty yeah. cool book. Um, most historians I know have given it a thumbs up for being mostly accurate, you know. And one of the unbelievable claims the author makes is no one, there were no missionaries before St. Patrick, mm -hmm. which I think is about 500 AD. Yeah. So all the Christians and all the missionary work that happened before St. Patrick, the people did not self-identify as missionaries. Right. They were just doing Christians. It. Yeah, yeah. They were just Christians. So in the age of the great evangelization, where Christianity experienced its most successful growth, mm -hmm. missionaries were not operating yeah. as missionaries, right? Right. And I think we should take that very seriously as like a warning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then... To add to that warning is Jesus pointing at the Pharisees and say, you cross, you know, seas and land to make one convert and you make him twice the son of hell you are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that that verse is about proselytizing. And someday we need to do a podcast on proselytizing versus mission work where we try to parse those two things and create real room for mission work, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But um, another bias that I feel like has been a problem for missionary work. And I feel like it was as true 20 years ago as it is true right now, mm -hmm. which is that sometimes the way that we explain the good news to each other is almost as if it's with a comforting or confirmation bias type technique. It's almost like, yeah. here's an even better reason that you're doing what you're already doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it doesn't seem to keep the... Um, uh, scandal of Christ intact when we, we, yeah. we operate like that. The great unspoken thing about the Bible that's like one of its main points that we hardly ever talk about is that Christ was killed by religious people. Yeah. You know? And it wasn't like the Roman government had it out for him. It was 
both, and it wasn't just uh, conservative religious people and liberal religious people. It was the liberals and the conservative religious people who killed him, and they high fived each other while they did it. Right. You know, the yeah. Sadducees were like the group that had compromised with the Roman Empire, was running the temple, uh, had had less teachings than the Pharisees, less books of the Bible, just the Pentateuch, right? And they were kind of the compromised, kind of with it group of the day. Um, and then the Pharisees were kind of the opposite, like way more teachings, you know, mm -hmm. they had, they, they didn't just have the law of Moses. They kind of had a hedge around the law of Moses. They were like going to be yeah. extra careful not ever to sin. And both of them, you know, Jesus is like upturning the money changers that the Sadducees have, you know, set up, but he's also just like scandalizing the Pharisees where they both need to get rid of Jesus, yeah. you know? And yeah. it wasn't the prostitutes or the tax collectors or the sinners yeah. that needed to get rid of Jesus. It was the holy people that had to get rid of Jesus. And in a way, I think the warning here is that God is coming for us Christians to upset our whole way of being. Yes. You know, yeah. I've always liked the idiom, um, upset the apple cart. Yeah. And I recently posted on Facebook, I'm like, <laughs> I realize that most of the new Symbols missionaries have never heard the idiom upset the apple cart. Right. So then I go on Facebook and I go, what's a more modern way of saying this? Right. And then everyone who responds is like responding to don't upset the apple cart. And I'm like of the mindset of, no, you want to upset the apple cart. That's yeah, the way yeah. I use this idiom, which I think is a yeah. little bit backwards. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the best response was update your operating system. Yeah, I thought I thought that was a. I saw your query on Facebook, and the only thing I could think of was uh, letting stuff hit the fan. You know, <laughs> like, I, I mean, <laughs> like you study theology, you read scripture, and you pray to let stuff hit the fan. Yeah, you you right. like you you do that in order to update your operating system, and and that's scary. Yeah. And be, yeah, there's, there's, there's something is going to be required of you. There's going to be a change. There's, you know, your worldview might be, um, yeah, I don't know. There's like, I think another problem we had and continue to have is like, you would try to be like, are you able to convey the good news? You know, what has Jesus done for you? And people couldn't say, you know, it was like the world had not been dramatically changed in their life somehow because they had, you know, and I guess, you know, part of having an awesome God, part of having a, part of having an awesome, all-powerful God that is like good beyond your imagination is that mm -hmm. he's very dangerous. Like yeah. Jesus was very dangerous. Yeah. You know, he was dangerous to the religion, you know, yeah. and our own personal religion, when we go to God, we need to acknowledge the danger that we're getting ready to face. This is you very know. like uh, Narnia, Aslan is not a tame lion, you know, he's a dangerous <laughs> lion. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, I, I guess, you know, sometimes when we go to talk about the good news, I think what you said is interesting that we sometimes don't know how he changed our lives. I don't yeah. ever blame anyone if that's the case. Where I kind of get annoyed with them is if they start yeah. talking about how he changed their lives and they're saying something so vanilla yeah. or something that it feels like their temperament would have done anyway, yeah. that it's like, uh, just does not speak to anyone. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. Or like if you tell your own story of love of God and Christianity and it's not authentic, if it doesn't resonate with other people, you really can't be a missionary. Yeah. Yeah. I had this um, seminarian one time we were chit chatting and he was kind of asking my story and you know, I, I was saying this thing, you know, I was very moved by God, but then I like really felt the pool of the world. And I spent like years in my twenties, you know, feeling like I was torn apart, you know, uh, by this. And he was like, oh, isn't that the way for all of us? And I was like, yeah. So then I, I asked him something and he, and I'm like, so, so what's your deal? He was like, um, well, I went to high school seminary and now I'm a freshman in college and I was like oh <laughs> isn't that the <laughs> like it was like he was saying this thing like isn't that the way but had like zero experience um of this and he like turned bright red because he knew he had sort of said a thing that was not like authentic to his life you know 
we're, we're, we're dancing dangerously close to like condemning yeah. someone who hasn't like had something, who's been living a good life yeah. and haven't was, had something I very, upturned. I was very endeared by that seminarian. I also think like maybe I wouldn't have been able to speak very well about having my life upturned when I was in my younger twenties, you know? Um, but, but yeah. And I don't want to condemn anyone. I also think it's kind of like a part of the Catholic culture or, or a lack in Catholic culture. We're not like talking about, you know, when did you convert? What did Jesus do for you? <laughs> you know, and, and we need to think about those things and, and understand them, you know? Well, so, and that, but that, that you're right. That's a lack of Catholic culture. I think mm-hmm. where I wanted to start this idea with was, is that sometimes when we do theology and stuff, what we're doing is we're kind of making ourselves feel good. Sometimes we have a wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. God is yeah. really good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, there needs to be danger in it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that, and otherwise, like, you're not going to convince someone who's set in their ways that's on a bad path to switch yeah. Yeah. unless there's danger in it. Yeah. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, somehow related to this is how there's certain people who seem more sexually promiscuous or less sexually promiscuous almost naturally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, not from yeah. grace, but more yeah. from just like their disposition yeah. or their mm-hmm. psychological makeup, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's like, we're almost more willing to welcome the person who's more naturally prudish into a church group than yeah. someone who's more like, um, who's that? We talked about this guy recently, the crazy uh, uh, English comedian. Oh my gosh, Russell Brand. Yeah, Russell Brand has some real spiritual stuff going on. He's also completely crazy, (laughs) you know, but like, but like he needs to be in church too. Yeah. You know, not just a prudish person. You know, I don't think he's completely crazy, but yeah, no, yeah. He's, I'm, I he's, was just kind of covering myself so I didn't, okay. no one took me as endorsing Russell Brand's ideas. Um, yeah. Anyway, good. All right. Good to see you. Good to talk right. to you. You too. All right. All right. Everybody, uh, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe to our podcast, hit the like button. <laughs> and if you think this would help anyone, please share it. Thank you. All right. See Bye. you, Clark.